passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch crushing! Deep left field! This is way back! Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Enough is enough. What's really wrong with Uncle Charlie Morton? Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today, and welcome to June. It's Wednesday, June 1st. Frank Stanfield joined by Scott White and Chris Towers. Today on the show, the official worryometer, two months in, kind of. We've got to talk about Salvador Perez, getting a lot of questions about him. Luis Castillo did something different, and it worked. And we've got some waiver wire hitters, but first... Take it away, Susan. Oh, my good goodness gracious. All right, Chris, let's stick with you here. Who do you have? Oh, my goodness Oof. gracious from Tuesday. We got to talk about Martin Perez, who just continues to be awesome in spite of my very significant skepticism publicly. Uh, seven shutout innings, five strikeouts, three hits allowed against the Tampa Bay Rays today. Lowers his season ERA to 142. He's been awesome. He, uh, I believe, had the lowest, the lowest ERA for a pitcher in a month with at least forty innings pitched since Johan Santana in two thousand. Gosh, I wish I had the the tweet in front of me. I think it was two thousand twelve, um, but I actually don't know if that lines up with the time that Johan Santana was actually still good. Uh, but yeah, either way, Johan Santana, he hasn't been good in a while. So that tells you what a good month Martin Perez had an ERA under 0.6 for the month. And I still don't buy it. And I still don't see any reason to be excited about him. And I still don't see any reason to think that he's anything more than a league average pitcher. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. So here is the, I believe, official stat you were looking for here, Chris. Finished May with a 4-0 record and a 0.64 ERA in six starts, the lowest ERA in any month by an American League pitcher since Johan Santana bid it, did it back in September of 2004 with 2004. the Minnesota Twins. There you go. Yeah. Uh, Martin Perez, yeah, I, I was looking more into him before and trying to figure out, like, what is he doing differently? Obviously, the control is something that stands out big time for him. He's got two walks or fewer in eight of ten starts, 1.99 walks per nine this year, which is by far a career best. He's over yeah. three walks per nine for his career. So I don't know if that's something that he'll be able to keep up as the season goes along. But he's also getting a lot of ground balls, so limiting walks and getting ground balls. So when people actually reach base, those are turning into double plays. And so I, I think that's the driving force. He hasn't allowed a single home run this year. That's going to change at some point for Martin Perez, even with all these ground balls that he's getting. 
we heard the skepticism from Chris. Scott, you've kind of been the, I don't know, the defense of Martin Perez. Not that, you know, we think he's going to do this, but he's obviously been very serviceable. Yes. Uh, well, more than serviceable. I mean, he's been... Fantastic. What's his ERA for the year now? 144? 142. And 142. And going don't, deep into games. Yeah, don't sell him short. How dare you? <laughs> and you mentioned he's... Uh, base runners are getting erased on double play. There, there have hardly been any base runners during this... Uh, stretch for Martin Perez that precedes even May. So eight starts of a runner fewer, all quality starts, 5.4 hits per nine during that stretch. I mean, that probably is where the luck comes in because it's difficult to sustain that kind of hit rate when you're not, when you're allowing contact, which Martin Perez has continued to do, weak though the contact has been. I, I mean, if we're just if we're just talking, you know, are, are you betting he will be? Are you betting he will regress to being a league average pitcher or not? I would be in the same camp as Chris. That is the most likely way that this plays out. So if you can, if you can sell Martin Perez for for somebody who's genuinely, confidently good, then I'd be fine with that. But if not. You know, I'm I'm happy to enjoy it for however long it lasts, and and there is that small percentage chance that it does last all season. Not that he's going to sustain a 142 ERA all season, but that he's going to be a starting caliber fantasy pitcher all season. I'm at least open to that possibility. Open enough that I'm not just going to toss him aside for some flavor of the week. Right. I, I, so I'm not saying that like he's not worth rostering. I'm just saying that like. I put next to zero value on him as a trade asset. If someone offered me someone that I was even remotely interested in, even if that player wasn't particularly good right now, I would probably hit accept for Martin Perez. So like Jesse Winker, Chris, if someone offered you... Absolutely. 100%. There's no question about that. Um, I, I was thinking like you say Kikuchi... I think I would rather have than Martin Perez just because I think there's some semblance of upside. There's a path to him being a very good pitcher. Whereas I think like Martin Perez moving forward, I think being an average pitcher is like a pretty good outcome for him, despite the way he's pitched so far. We always talk about, we're not talking about what's happened so far. We're talking about what's likely to happen moving forward. And I just, Mm -hmm. I don't see anything in Martin Perez's track record that suggests that a 199 walks per nine is sustainable. I don't see anything in his track record to suggest that even with a high ground ball rate, he's going to be a very good pitcher. He's had high ground ball rates before. He had a 60% ground ball rate in 2015 with a 446 ERA. And that was in an offensive environment that's very similar to the one today in terms of how, how the ball is traveling. The difference, and that was with a 5% home run to fly ball rate. I don't know, man. I just, I think Martin Perez, like his career is the definition of just a guy and good months can happen and start him next week. That's fine. Actually, I don't know what his matchups are, so I wouldn't say blanket start him. Yeah, I wouldn't either. Um, And so like, that's the thing is if if you're not willing to say blanket start a guy when he's got a 0.64 ERA over the last month, Mm -hmm. that kind of tells me that that guy's not particularly valuable. 
Well, I wouldn't be afraid of starting him with any matchup, I guess. I just, you know, I would. he, he hasn't earned must-start status from me for this time he's pitching well. So Seattle's his next matchup. Uh, I mean, Tampa Bay is obviously the team he shut down this time. Pretty good team. Uh, to use the to, to play off the Kikuchi example, I, I mean the most likely scenario for Kikuchi, as with Perez, yeah, is that he's going to be waiver fodder. Mm-hmm. So I mean I'd I'd rather stick with Perez because I feel like I'm getting something out of him right now in a way I'm less confident I will from Kikuchi. Sure, that's fair. But like looking at another position. Marcelo Zuna has been a pretty big disappointment. I would absolutely trade Martin Perez for Marcelo Zuna. I, I would, would trade Martin Perez for Andrew, point, for Andrew Vaughn. Yeah, that, there's also that, that Martin Perez is SPARP eligible. So that is a wrinkle that does affect this conversation in ways that are only really relevant to head-to-head points leagues where that matters. But even then... I feel like he's going to be pretty fringy outside of two start weeks. And right. so, right. you know, it's, it's not it's, it's not that hard to find decent relievers in a points league. Yeah. I mean, that's as much about my confidence or lack thereof that Marcelo Zuna is going to be a top sure. 30 outfielder. But I would agree that Mar- Ozuna has more upside among outfielders than Perez does among pitchers. Yeah. And, I mean, the example I used earlier, Jesse Winker, I, I have him and Ozuna – ranked in a similar spot to like borderline top 35 or top 40 yeah. outfielders. So yeah, I, I think, you know, if you're trying to turn pitching into hitting and Perez is likely someone that you picked up or drafted very, very late in your drafts, then um, I would be okay. Man, if, you, if you drafted Martin Perez, <laughs> kudos to you. <laughs> AL only league, maybe weird, weird 50, 50 round draft. You were in, I guess. <laughs> All right, Scott, I'm not, I'm not sure I would have drafted him in a 50 round draft. <laughs> Scott. Oh my goodness gracious for you from Tuesday. Alejandro Kirk, man, has the catcher position taken a turn for the better here in the last couple weeks between William Contreras becoming more of a fixture in the Braves lineup and MJ Melendez now. He just made a second start at right field since Salvador Perez returned, so it seems like the Royals are going to keep finding at-bats for him. And then Alejandro Kirk finally had that, that big game we've been waiting all year for, two-homer game. Three hits totals. Got a season batting average up to 304. He, he got a ton of hits in May. Uh, only recently started getting hits of the extra base variety. And this was only his second and third home run of the season. So, you know, we the, the power has been lacking. But the contact skills have been playing up for a few weeks now. And he's continued to play about 60 percent of the time maybe a little more between catcher and dh so at least as much as the average catcher and i think he has the potential for more than the average catcher since they are you know seem willing to use him in the dh spot if he gets going well i I think the playing time would only improve for kirk obviously in points leagues just his lack of strikeouts he's striking out less than luis arias so it's just because of that he's a a top 10 catcher i think pretty easily only 55 percent rostered though I would say that with uh, with Adley Rushman getting called up, with Kirk coming around, with Melendez and, and the second Contreras entering the fold, uh, between them and, and I'm going to throw Tyler Stevenson in there just because his production so far has been good. Uh, I'm going to keep Yasmani Grandal in there even though his production has been awful. And then there's an obvious top five. Like that's that's twelve. That's twelve catchers. That's enough to go around 
in 12 team one catcher leagues everybody has uh oh mitch garver mitch garver i didn't mention him i'm including him in there yeah he's Uh, been hot lately yeah yeah and so so like if you're in a one catcher league, you you shouldn't have to mess around with like Elias Diaz or Yadier Molina, anybody like that. Like there there's enough really interesting hitters at the position now that you shouldn't settle for anything less than that. I, and I, I I'm not even counting like Gary Sanchez who's been powering up recently or Kebert Ruiz who never strikes out. Like he's been useful in points leagues, at least. I'm not even counting some of them. So there's there's even a little bit of a cushion there. You might as well go for one of those upside plays if you play in a one catcher league. Yeah, I did want to talk about Gary Sanchez a little bit later on, but since you meant you mentioned him, Chris uh, Scott, he went one for three with a three run homer on Tuesday, and in May he hit 253, five homers, and 823 OPS. The strikeout rate is down for Gary Sanchez. Average exit velocity for the month, 93.4 miles per hour with a 16% uh, barrel rate. You like that for Sanchez. He's a top-nine catcher in both Roto and head-to-head points uh, and has played 17 of 38 games at DH this season and has been a much better hitter in those games. So I think that's something that's really helping him so far with the Minnesota Twins. That is Gary Sanchez. Scott, how would you rank... um, Let's go Mitch Garver, MJ Melendez, Alejandro Kirk. They're all rostered in less than 70% of CBS leagues. I would go Kirk, Garver, Melendez. Yep. All right. And you'd be, I know we kind of got duped by this William Contreras thing because of Michael Harris. Just kind of threw everything upside down. So you would drop Contreras for any of those? Yeah, he's 12th of the 12, but he would still be in the 12. All right, let's do, oh my goodness gracious, for me, and that is Luis Castillo, who posted his first double-digit strikeout performance of the season at the Boston Red Sox. He went six shutout, only one hit allowed, three walks, 10 strikeouts, had 22 swinging strikes on 100 pitches for Castillo, 10 on the fastball, eight on the changeup, four on the slider, and the velocity was up a little bit on the fastball, but uh, definitely up on the slider, nearly two miles per hour. And a very noticeable change in his pitch mix in this start, where he entered throwing his sinker just 30, uh, 35% of the time, and he threw it just 6% in this one. So he went really heavy with the four-seam fastball, and it worked. Like, he was throwing... The Red Sox hitters had no answer for the four-seam fastball in this start. And it makes sense, because if you look at the sinker the past couple of years, very high batting average against mm-hmm. and we know the change up in the slider has been very good for Luis Castillo. Chris, what do you think about this change for uh for Castillo and um whether or not it can get him back to you know, I, I think the past couple of years we've overvalued him, but this change might be able to get him back inside inside the top thirty, top twenty five starting pitchers. What do you think? Yeah, I mean he's he's been in like the forty ish range for me. Um forty five I'm looking at it now. But yeah, I just as a general rule, I think unless you've got a really, really good sinker, most pitchers probably should throw four-seam fastballs up in the zone over sinkers down in the zone, especially when you throw as hard as Luis Castillo does because you're trying to get whiffs. You know, that, that's kind of the name of the game. And in his case, the the sinker has been a pretty bad pitch over the past couple of years, especially relative to the four-seam fastball. And he's obviously gotten a lot more whiffs with the four-seam fastball, but... Even the quality of contact allowed on the sinker has generally been 
worse than the four-seam fastball. And so at that point, what are you getting out of the sinker? So I think it's a good switch. Um, you know, we know the slider and changeup, like you said, he can get a lot of whiffs with those. Getting whiffs with the four-seam fastball, that's just going to make his arsenal even better. So I'm all, I'm all about this change. I had Castillo as a bust coming into the season, Scott. I know you've been pretty aggressive with uh, moving Castillo down, but is this something that maybe gives you a little bit more confidence in, in getting Castillo back up there? Yeah, I mean, it, it's just this one start right now that he's done this, right? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. got to see more of it. Hopefully, he uh, he wants to keep doing this as successful as it was this time. But I remember Zach Eflin had that start where he went curveball crazy against the Dodgers and got a ton of strikeouts and swinging strikes and then went right back to to what he was doing before so you know we don't know what's going on in Luis Castillo's head but it's at least a path for him to regain yeah I mean maybe something close to what he was let me see where I have him in my rankings right now I have him I'm 57th so the top 60 it's really hard hey 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 the top 60 (laughs) is strong so overall, the hate is strong. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, after the start, it, it probably would have been an overreaction. But I, I've talked a lot about that, like twenty-five to thirty-six range, and I, I kind of just felt like throwing Castillo near the top of that range, just because I really don't have a lot of confidence in any of those pitchers. And we'll talk about Charlie Morton in a little bit. Obviously, you know he's part of that mix, or even uh, down below it now, but. Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to move uh, Castillo inside of my top 40 starting pitchers for the first time in a while, uh, basically all season long. Let's do that official two-month-in worryometer, right? And advice, I guess, for what to do with each of these because it seems like every day someone's asking me if they can drop Salvador Perez. So let's start right there. And he is batting 191 with no. six home runs. I agree. I mean, technically, yes. In a lot of leagues, you can drop Salvador Perez. I don't know if your league uses one of those do-not-drop list things. Um but no, it is le- You're saying it's legal to drop Salvador. It's Perez. legal. It is legal. Like except maybe in some Yahoo public leagues. Like what Jock Peterson was doing, it is legal, technically allowed. Uh-huh. But you should not do it. Well, Salvador Perez has dealt with some injuries, and uh, he's come back. He has really not done much. Scott, your official two month in worryometer on Salvador Perez, and what to do with him in the meantime. I'll I'll go worry on I'll go I'll go three. I, I wouldn't say I'm not worried at all. Uh especially given that I did invest a lot in him, sometimes as early as round three in some leagues coming into the season. I haven't been worried enough to remove him from the top spot in my rest of season catcher rankings, and I, I see none of us have. We all still have Salvador Perez as our top catcher rest of season. As bad as he's been He's still been the as bad as he's been and having spit time on the IL, he's still been the 14th best catcher in points leagues, and that's the format where he's gonna suffer most from the lack of walks. So like that that tells you a little something about how little it takes to be great at catcher. And I you know, you look at the average exit velocity, the hard hit rate, they're still like 80th, 85th percentile. The strikeout rate is about what it was last year, so there aren't obvious like plate discipline issues i think he's just cold you know he had a couple two homer games early in the season and hasn't done a lot since and and i think that's going to end sooner than later 
obviously, because I have him as the top-ranked catcher rest of season. Is he going to lead the majors in home runs, RBI again? No. But he he has, I think he still clearly has the most upside at the position. Uh, maybe Dalton Varsho because of the playing time advantage and the stolen. But even then, he doesn't really have a playing time advantage on Perez. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Perez plays every day, too. So Varsho's just got to be better than him. Right. Yeah. Hey, I mean, which he has so far, but it's, yes. again, a, a common theme is what's going to happen moving forward. And <laughs> obviously, we don't know exactly, but uh, based on what we've seen so far, we can make some predictions. And uh, I'll point out that the Babbitt for Salvador Perez is 228, and that's been 286 for his career there. Are some things working against him? His line, line drive rate is very low. His fly ball rate is very high, higher than usual. So those two hitting things hitting more hitting more pop ups as well. Like he, yeah. but I think like Scott said, like that that's what would show up when a hitter's not hitting well. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean he will continue to hit poorly. Yes, and I agree. So leave Salvador Perez in your lineup. I know that he has uh, not come through so far. Do not drop him for Alejandro Kirk or any other catcher that's available. Chris, you get Jake Cronenworth. Lucky you. He's batting 210 with three <laughs> home runs, zero steals. The strikeouts are up. The line drives are down. Kind of wondering if he's been a little bit more affected by this dead and ball humidor situation that's going on. Uh, what is your worryometer level on Jake Cronenworth? Are you maybe looking to drop him anywhere? Yeah, I mean, I guess the thing with like the bat, the dead and ball, like that's one where you would expect like that. That's something you can point to and say, okay, well, this guy's hitting the ball like he did last year, but he's just not getting the same results. Maybe that's Jake Cronenworth's just not hitting the ball well. He his expected woba is three oh two. Last year it was three forty eight. So he's just been worse at pretty much everything. He's hitting the ball hard less frequently, or he's hitting the ball on average less hard. Uh, he's striking out more. He So, like, he just hasn't been as good. Now, I think it's fair to wonder if a guy like Cronenworth is fringy enough that, you know, a dead and ball might impact him more. But it's also just that he's not playing well. And so it's hard to say whether that's because of the offensive environment. He's a very, he's a frustrating player to rank because he's eligible at so many positions that like that has value in and of itself. Except right now he's hurting you in a lot of different positions. So he's got the the flexibility to hurt you anywhere, which is, uh, you know, <laughs> not, not super helpful. He doesn't have a super long track record, and I'm generally not like super sold on Jake Cronenworth being an impact player. So I, I would say I'm like a six on the worryometer, but that's not the same thing as the drop o meter. So I would not necessarily drop him. He's a useful player to have around when he's going well, and I think he'll be better than he has been so far. I, I feel like any league less than 300 players rostered, you can probably drop Cronenworth. Okay, so like in our in, in your standard points league or just a yeah point that's that that yeah. seems okay. In, any kind of head to head league that's twelve teams or fewer probably points or otherwise. I, I think like I have him outside my top twenty at second base now behind guys like Brendan Rogers and Jeff McNeil and Nolan Gorman. So it's you know it's hard to roster that many second base eligible players in a in a league of that size. I mean, Scott, just kind of talking this through and hearing where you're kind of moving some players in the rankings, have you noticed yourself that we're, all right, past Memorial Day and you're being a little bit more aggressive with like moving players up and down at this point? Yeah, I, I finally, even though, he's, even though he's heating up a little bit, only a little bit, 
I, I finally have Marcus Simeon outside my top 10 at both second base and shortstop. Bad timing. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't. I'm, I'm sticking with it. I updated my rankings today and sticking with it. All right, well, let's talk about Marcus Simeon. He's been better over his last 13 games, batting 308. Not really much power. Just one home run during that stretch. Four steals. You like to see that. Overall, he's still batting at 199. Scott just referenced moving him outside of the uh, top 10 in the rankings. Um, but two months in, Scott, I mean, what is your uh, worryometer level with him? And do you actually consider dropping Marcus Simeon anywhere? That'd be a lot harder to do. I mean, the guy was basically 40-20 last year, right? And two of the last three years has been an MVP finalist in his league. The one year in between, he was not very useful at all. And for most of his career, he hasn't been very useful. So those are, I mean, we're just kind of rehashing the, 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 the spring, the, our spring assessment of him by pointing that out. But yeah, I mean, I had a lot of doubts coming in. The bigger ballpark, the worst supporting cast, and then the new deadened ball for a guy who already didn't impact the ball particularly hard and yet put it in the air a lot. And he, he does seem like the poster child for a player who would suffer from the deadened ball. And so I am afraid that's what's happening. I, so on Worryometer, I guess I'll go like seven on Simeon. But uh, saying I moved him outside of my top 10 at both second base and shortstop rest of season, that's, that's really not droppable territory at all. I, I'd, I'd like to sit him if that's possible. Well, I mean, that's I mean, probably that, still a top 100. That's probably still a top 100 player, right? Probably. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he's on the cusp of, there. So. Yeah, maybe not. A lot of, it's like a it's lot interesting, of like, do you have Tommy Edmond ahead of him? At second base. I do. Because, like, this is the thing that's tough about the way the season trends play out is, like, if Tommy Edmond had hit 272 with a 719 OPS in the first 41 games of the season and then had three home runs in his last six, we'd probably be like, eh, I don't know about Tommy Edmond. It's just a hot streak. But he had the three home runs in the first six games, and he's been kind of mediocre for the last 41 that's what I was referring to. Mm-hmm. Um, he's still stealing a lot of bases, and that you know makes that example kind of more difficult to make. But mm-hmm. it's one of those ones where, like, when you have a good week, even at this point in the season, can still color how we perceive players. And so, like, and and Tommy Edmond is someone that I just looking at my rankings now thought like, oh, maybe I should move him above Simeon. And then I decided to look into it, and it's like. Maybe I'm just overweighting that first week, and he's just kind of been the same guy that he was coming into the season. So it's it's hard. Like I'm not saying it's right or wrong to rank him ahead of Simeon, and that's just one random player I happen to be looking at. But mm-hmm. it's it's a difficult it's a it's a difficult call. I, I'm still sticking with Simeon as like a top 75 player. He's a top. He's number seven at at second base for me. Um, probably the same at shortstop. But yeah, it's. Yeah, the, the Edmund thing it's is hard. difficult because like he's moved to the top of the lineup. He's picked up shortstop eligibility. Even in the past couple of weeks, he's hit like 320. So, you know, he's he is producing in fantasy. Yeah. It's obviously not 
all about the home runs, which I'm skeptical of. I mean, I'm skeptical of most players' power potential in this environment. And, yeah, I mean, part of it is, like, I'm not that confident in Simeon. And if I keep Simeon ahead of Edmund in my rankings, then I am telling people to trade Tommy Edfern for Mar- Marcus Simeon, basically. And I'm not, I'm not comfortable telling people that at this point. I'm comfortable I, with I, it in I, a I points want more. I want more for Edmund than that. I'm comfortable with it in a points league. And in a categories league, just the stolen bases alone make Edmund, you know, he's on like a 40 steal pace. So, like, that's really hard to get away from. Mm-hmm. But in a points league, I, I still think Simeon is definitely better. And I think in a roto league, I would still rank Simeon ahead. The trade question comes down to team need, I guess. All right, let's talk about another middle infielder, Javier Baez, overall in the season. He's batting 197. He's got three homers, zero steals. And he kind of got off to like an okay start with the Tigers, has really struggled since coming back from that thumb injury. So I wonder if that's maybe something that's affecting him. Um, but since returning, 177 batting average, 269 slugging. So there's just really been nothing there. Uh, Chris, the worryometer level for you on Javier Baez. Uh, let's think of a weird analogy. Let's think of a classic weird analogy to make. Let's say it was, you, you, you spawned fully formed and sentient on a beach in the middle of the day, right? Like as who you are now with all your faculties, but you don't know anything and you see the tide come in and you're like, Oh no, it's flooding. And then you see the tide go away and you're like, Oh no, the water's disappearing forever. And it's the first time that you've ever seen it. And so that would be really worrisome, but because you are a person who has lived in a world that understands how tides work and you know, the, the gravitational pull of the moon on the earth and all that stuff, you understand that that's just a thing that happens. I think what we're seeing from Javier Baez is just a thing that happens with Javier Baez sometimes, is what I'm saying. Do you follow? Did that, did that live up to your expectations? I know, Frank, I know you like my weird analogies. Yeah, no, I really, I was wondering where you were going with that, but <laughs> I, I, I think it worked out well. I'm not going to say very well, but I think it was all right. So, like, look, 2020 happened. Right, 203 average, 599 OPS, 75 strikeouts in 59 games. He was horrendous. Then he comes back in 2021 and was pretty Javier Baez-like. And I would say 2020, he was pretty Javier Baez-like. And I would say in 2022, he has been pretty Javier Baez-like. Which is all to say that my worryometer is not particularly high in Javier Baez. If you draft Javier Baez, you have to go into it knowing that a stretch like this is entirely possible. And unless he's hurt, or not playing 100%, I, I think he's probably going to be fine. Yeah. So you would hold him even in a points league? I would prefer not to drop him, but he's fringy in a points league, sure. All right. Uh, yeah. I, I, look, there are <laughs> peaks and valleys for someone like Javier Baez. And we spoke about Jorge Soler yesterday, and you know, there are just power hitters that, that go through uh, streaks like this, I, I personally think, you know, he might be kind of playing through something. It's also his first season in a new location, yeah, on a new team. So all those things kind of factor in. Um, I would not want to drop him myself, but definitely could bench him for now and until uh, hopefully we see him get going and see that hot streak that we're used to out of Javier Baez. Let's wrap up this whole uh, worryometer conversation with um, kind of the face of the worryometer right now, and that is... Uncle Charlie Morton, who has a 5.47 ERA through his first 10 starts of the season, 
And on Tuesday, he gave up four runs over five innings with five strikeouts, just five swinging strikes. He actually left the start with uh, just allowing two earned runs, but they were runners on base. And uh, I believe it was A.J. Minter allowed those runners to score. So they get charged to Charlie Morton here in this spot. It was another start where he just... He had nothing with the fastball. 13% mm-hmm. CSW on his fastball. That is atrocious. League average is like 28%. Could not throw his fastball for strikes. His uh, average exit velocity against the curveball in this one, over 97 miles per hour. The curveball has just not been as good this year. Higher batting average against. The whiff rate on the curve, not nearly as good. All these things kind of converging, Scott. Not being able to throw your fastball for strikes and, and coming back from a broken leg and curveball not looking as good. It's... They're all kind of converging at once, and I feel like that's how we're here with Charlie Morton. So what's your worryometer level, and you know how far are we dropping him down the ranks? So it's not a good sign when my favorite hitter to draft and my favorite pitcher to draft are both on the worryometer <laughs> a third of the way into the season. Uh, Charlie Morton is probably about a five now on my worryometer. I, I, have, him, I have him right at... 40. I just moved Luis Castillo ahead of both Charlie Morton and Jose Barrios, and we were talking about Barrios yesterday. I think the kinds of things Morton is suffering from, I and mean, we've said it all year, velocity's fine, spin rates, uh, curveball's still 3,000 RPM. Like, he's got the spinniest curveball in baseball, basically. So, like, the raw stuff is is fine. And so what what he's suffering from, I think he can fix. But obviously he hasn't made a lot of pros- progress uh, along along that line over a third of a season. And I did start him because he's in line for two stars this week. I did start him in some of my points leagues. But any kind of categories league and, and even in the points league, any anytime he has just one start, you're probably just sitting him until he shows signs of coming around. I wouldn't want to drop him. I, I don't think you can drop him. Yeah, I mean, it's basically, a, look, I, we talked about this with Barrios yesterday, and I kept comparing it to Charlie Morton. They're in, they're in the same boat, where you, I, I could see buying low from somebody else who's on the verge of dropping him. It'd have to be pretty low. Uh, but I'd, I wouldn't be interested in dropping him. And if somebody else dropped him, I'd, I'd pick him up, and I'd just stash him until he, he got on track, because I still think he will. Yeah, there's just so much of a track record with both Charlie Morton and Jose Barrios. He just... Kind of have to give them the benefit of the doubt. I understand Morton's older, you know, father time, undefeated. Maybe, you know, this is just him hitting a wall, but... Uh, it's not like it's but not that, like it's those telltale signs of age. Yeah, he averaged ninety six miles an hour with his fastball today. His velocity yeah. was actually up significantly today. I he just the can't, comp he I've can't made, command it. He can't command the fastball, yeah. Chris. It's it's bad. The comp I've made is Luis Castillo last year, and through ten starts last year, Luis Castillo had a seven sixty one ERA. He was awful, but like we're talking about with Barrios and like we're talking about with Morton, a lot of the underlying signs were still, if not good, I mean, good's a relative term, but they looked like Luis Castillo, you know, the, the fastball velocity, spin rate, all that, like the release point, all that stuff. Like there are things to be, to take note of with Morton, his, the movement profile on his pitches has changed. He's getting a little less break. On the cur- curveball, um, he's getting a little different movement with the fastball. And so, like, he's not identical to who he was last season. But like Luis Castillo last year, I just I think it's worth betting on the track record and betting that 
whatever seemingly minute changes or differences can get figured out. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of shows that Major League Baseball is a really difficult thing to excel in, and the margin for error are really, really small for most players, even really good ones. If you play in a daily league, well, obviously, Scott, you said, you know, keep them out of your lineups for now, but definitely make sure you get them out because his next start is at Colorado. Later this week, he's scheduled to start on Sunday. That's Charlie Morton. So in Coors Field, you definitely uh, do not want to start him there, which means yeah. he'll probably have like 10 probably strikeouts, yeah, seven shutout innings. He'll be awesome. Everyone has him on the bench. And if you're wondering... I didn't watch a single second of this start. I swear, I didn't accidentally click on anything. MLB TV, it was not on. I did not see a single second. Obviously, I checked box scores because I have to. It's my he, job. He turned it on immediately when Charlie <laughs> Morton got pulled from the game. That's why AJ Minter allowed those inherited runners to score. Uh, I wish that was the truth. But. I, hope, I hope this <laughs> cures you of your superstitions, Frank. <laughs> I don't know. Probably not. Um, anyway, that's it on Charlie Morton. I'm just... I'm kind of sad because he's one of my most rostered players, and it's obviously it's very sad. Anyway, before we hit the break, just a reminder to sign up for our FBT newsletter if you haven't already, cbssports.com slash newsletters. It's free. Why wouldn't you do it? Our buddy Dan Schneier, he does a great job, conjures up a bunch of these things that we throw on the rundown each night, night and he sends it out to you uh, throughout the course of the week. So again, that's cbssports.com slash newsletters. If you like fantasy football, make sure you sign up for Chris's FFT newsletter as well. We'll take a break and we'll return right after this. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Let's jump into the news and notes. Wander Franco was placed on the I.L. with a strained right quad, but says that he will be back in two weeks. Taylor Walls should become the primary shortstop in his absence. And if you play in a deeper categories league, I think Taylor Walls is just a name to watch because he does... Uh, run a little bit when he gets on base. The White Sox said they hope Tim Anderson will return from the IL in about three weeks. He is dealing with a strained right groin. Luis Robert was reinstated from the COVID IL, but not yet in the lineup on Tuesday. Eloy Jimenez will resume his rehab assignment at AAA on Wednesday. He tweaked his surgically repaired hamstring over the weekend. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. returned to the lineup after missing Sunday's game with a sore left wrist. Jack Flaherty faced teammates in a two-inning live batting practice session on Tuesday. He threw somewhere between 40 and 50 pitches. 
The Cardinals have yet to announce the next step for Jack Flaherty, but it sounds like rehab is coming soon, so we shall see. Gene Segura was diagnosed with a fractured right index finger after trying to bunt on Tuesday. He got hit on his finger. and it Sounds like good news for the Phillies pitching staff. Is he bad defensively? Is no. he another one? Oh, no, that's, yeah, that's me being good. ironical. Oh, oh, that's uh that's the old sarcasm there, huh? Uh Joe Girardi apparently on the hot seat, huh? There's <laughs> is it really Joe Girardi's fault that they're bad? I I don't, I don't know, but anyway, they've got their issues. Joe Carlos Stanton took batting practice on Tuesday and also took part in a light running workout. He's on the IL with right ankle inflammation. Tyler O'Neill has been slightly delayed, but may be able to begin a rehab assignment Friday or Saturday of this week. Sonny Gray, not yet placed on the IL, but it's unclear uh, whether he'll make his next start dealing with right pectoral soreness. Tyler McGill threw live batting practice at City Field on Tuesday. He's been on the IL for two weeks with right biceps tendonitis. Kyle Lewis is dealing with concussion-like symptoms. He was hit by a pitch on his shoulder this weekend, which apparently ricocheted and hit him in the head. So... That's why he's got these concussion symptoms. Brendan Nimmo has missed four straight with a right wrist sprain. Uh, Nolan Gorman was unavailable Tuesday night due to lower back stiffness, a.k.a. they were facing a lefty. No, I think he actually was dealing with back stiffness. Yeah, but he he is 0 for 3 in terms of starting against lefties since being called up. Yeah, and uh, Blake Snell was actually pretty good in that start. We'll talk about him in just a little bit. Tommy Pham was scratched due to left calf discomfort, which brings us to Chris. What's the latest in this uh, Tommy Pham, Jock Peterson saga? So Mike Trout was the uh, oh, was the commissioner this. of this league. I saw this. This league had a $10,000 entry fee. Wow. Mm. <laughs> uh, quote from Tommy Pham, Trout did a terrible job, man. Trout's the worst commissioner in fantasy sports because he allowed a lot of bleep to go on and he could have solved it all. <laughs> Nobody wanted to be commissioner. I don't want to be the bleeping commissioner. I've got other bleep to do. He didn't want to do it. We put it on him. It was kind of our fault, too, because we made him commissioner. <laughs> so one of my leagues has gotten around this by offering a 20% discount for the commissioner on their entry fee. So next year, take $2,000 off Mike Trout's entry fee so he can you know, feel a little better about being commissioner. Who was saying um, that about Mike Trout? That's Tommy Pham. Sorry. Okay. Uh, <laughs> But this is this is the the really excellent quote. Apparently, okay. So apparently, Tommy Pham says that despite the league being played on ESPN and allowing players who are ruled out to be put on IR, they had established that it was not that kind of league. They were playing by the way the rules should be, which is that you can only put a player on IR if they are on IR. The the money quote though. Uh, at one point last year, Fam wrote in the text chain that the next time he saw Peterson, he would give him, quote, a pimp slap. See Trent Rosencrantz in The Athletic. Fam was good to his word. In left field at Great American Ballpark during Reds batting practice Friday, he approached a shoeless Peterson. Quote, I said, I didn't forget about that bleep, Fam said, and I walked to him, up to him, and I slapped him. That's it. <laughs> End of story. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I don't think that Tommy Pham is going to try and slap Mike Trout. <laughs> just unbelievable stuff. Jeez. All right. Well, I will also just a bow on this commissioner conversation. It's a thankless job. It's the worst. And I really don't think anyone likes doing it. Like maybe no. Scott kind of does because uh, Scott, do you like it? I don't yeah, know. Scott's well, kind of a weirdo. Thing. I don't play in any $10,000 <laughs> buy in leagues. That's like. 
And this is why I don't like playing Man, for money I, because it just it just ratchets up the intensity to a level that's uncomfortable, and like people just my league with my call my football league with my college friends we've got like three lawyers and it's just a bunch of argumentative dudes oh, and it being commissioner is the absolute worst because everyone's like picking through the league document to like oh but you didn't explicitly say and it's just like. That sounds that, terrible. That's the league where they offered the commissioner a discount. Yeah. <laughs> that is, yeah. yeah. That that sounds terrible. Anyway, let's get through these news and notes. <laughs> Darren Ruff was placed on the bereavement list and will miss the next three to seven days. Colta Wong out of the lineup with a calf injury. I missed this one yesterday, but Edward Cabrera, set to join the Marlins this week, was supposed to be called up on Tuesday, but that game was postponed. He's 23% rostered. Uh, Chris, are you looking to add Edward Cabrera anywhere right now? Yeah, he was, before the season, one of my uh, favorite late-round stashes. Came up last year, wasn't particularly good. His fastball got hammered. He hasn't been great in the minors so far this season, but he got off to a delayed start in spring training. I think there was a was either a visa issue or a COVID issue. Um, but the strikeouts have been there the last few starts, so I think there's he's still a very talented pitcher, still a top 75 to 50 ish prospect depending on which source you go through so not as exciting as max meyer but i think uh i think worth a look certainly in 15 team leagues all right uh nate pearson will move his rehab from single a to triple a the blue jays said they envisioned pearson as a multi-inning relief option upon his return outfield prospect Elliot Ramos was recalled by the Giants, and he started, was batting seventh on Tuesday. Just a name to watch in deeper leagues. And Dominic Smith, unfortunately, my guy. Option two, AAA. He was batting just 186 with zero home runs this season. Let's take a look at some waiver wire hitters. Andrew Vaughn, uh, he's up to 70% rostered, but could be out there in some shallow leagues, and he had a very impressive game on Tuesday, going four for five with... Hit his sixth home run. Three of those hits, including the home run, came off of Kevin Gosman. Scott, let me ask you this. Would you rather have Vaughn or Christian Walker, who added three more hits himself? He hit his 13th home run. I was surprised to see he's just 58% rostered. I know overall he's batting like 205, but in May, mm -hmm. that number is 255 with a 936 OPS. So I kind of mm -hmm. like Christian Walker. What do you think? Him versus Andrew Vaughn? I mean, to some degree, it depends. Do I need an outfielder or first baseman more? And and the question, the, the answer to that's usually going to be outfielder. But all things being equal, if I'm filling a utility spot or whatever, I think I'd lean Walker just because they're they're not playing the playing time games with him that the White Sox are with Vaughn. It's been a little better for Vaughn lately, uh, but and I, I think was, all the, all their injuries and underperformance probably helps him i'm trying to decide what i was so attracted to in vaughn's profile at the start of the year because the data's kind of leveled off his strikeout rates better this year his strikeout rates pretty good it's really good actually but i don't know that uh like i'm not that impressed by the quality of contact that he's making that is Andrew Vaughn. What, what I liked so far from him, the splits. Last year, he crushed lefties, came into the year, didn't really know if he was going to play against righties or if he would even be good against them. And so far, he's got an 819 OPS against lefties, 857 against righties. So I like that with Andrew Vaughn. I would take, I would take Vaughn over Walker for what it's worth. 
I think the overall upside, especially long-term, like throughout the course of the season, probably lies with Vaughn for obvious reasons. Big prospect pedigree, and it's a good park to hit in, good lineup to hit in. Um, but right now, if you just kind of want to ride the hot hand, I, I do think Christian Walker is performing better right now. So uh, if I, I need someone for the lineup, I'll, I'll take a shot there. Eloy Jimenez seems like he'll be back soon. So how does that affect uh, the playing time for Andrew Vaughn? Hopefully it doesn't, but yeah, I can't really put it past uh, the White Sox. You never know. Let's take a look at uh, Mark Canna, who went four for five with two runs scored and two RBI. He is batting 307 on the season with a 376 OBP. Upside is not massive, but he's been solid so far this season. Mark Canna, 46% rostered. Jonathan Scope is heating up as well. He went two for three, hit his fifth home run, and over his last 15 games, he's hitting 263, three homers, one steal, 27% rostered. Chris, are you interested in Mark Hanna or uh, Jonathan Scope in any leagues? Do you guys also sometimes forget that Jonathan Scope still plays? <laughs> the first month of the season, he was basically a ghost. I mean, he like every time nothing. every time I see him in my rankings, I'm like, oh yeah, Jonathan Scope's still here, <laughs> still like the 27th second baseman or whatever. Um, yeah, I think he's fringy at best, 15 teamer. But Canna, Canna, just it's always tough with him because him and Brandon Nimmo are kind of like the Spider-Man meme where they're both better in points leagues, but they're not generally so good in points leagues that they reach the third top 36 outfielder threshold. Um, but I, I think he's an, a reasonable like fifth outfielder option. If you've been getting nothing from some of your outfielders, like a lot of us are. All right. In deeper leagues, I know we mentioned the name last week, but Oscar Gonzalez now has multiple hits in four of his first five games with the Guardians. His average exit velocity entering Tuesday was 96.5 miles per hour. He also has zero walks. So uh, we know that's yeah. going to be the case. Uh, so in OBP or points leagues, you know. Yeah, already has a bad ball, I think, in his first game of 113 miles per hour. So max exit velo in the 96-second percentile as well. Yeah. Um, that's who he is. Yeah, look, if mm-hmm. you're if you're struggling for outfielders in five outfielder leagues, even 12 teamers, I could see just taking a shot on Gonzalez and seeing where it goes. He's 12% yeah. rostered, so. He could be a pretty good source of power. I'm I'm trying to think of I don't know, like Adam Duval comes to mind, like but I I don't know that it's going to be exactly like that just in terms of a power guy who doesn't walk much. I could see Oscar Gonzalez being useful in that way. It's probably a better comp out there than Duval. He's such an extreme player in so many ways, but I for Gonzalez, I'm. It's you know he struck out only three times in his first twenty-one plate appearances. It's obviously a small sample, but I'm encouraged by that. All right, in uh, deeper two catcher leagues, I you know I got to sneak in the, the the Yankee homer at some point here. Jose Trevino, he went three for four, hit his third home run. Batting average is up to two sixty-three. Basically playing every other day right now, but this is deeper two catcher leagues. Fifteen team roto. You need a second catcher. I've, I've, I added Brian Servin, the the catcher for the Rockies. So, if you're looking at catchers that bad, then Jose Trevino might be on your uh, radar in a format like that. Let's wrap up with some leftovers here. We had a pitcher's duel in St. Louis. Adam Wainwright went seven shutout with ten strikeouts on the other side. Blake Snell posts his first quality start of the season: six innings, two runs, six strikeouts, and uh, he kind of changes pitch mix in this one as well. Yeah. Uh, the the slider went away, which is normally his best pitch, and he started using his curveball, his changeup more in the start, and it worked well. So, Chris, what'd you see from uh, Wayno and Blake Snow? 
Yeah, I think the the one thing I would look at there is I think the Padres only had I want to say two left-handed batters in the lineup, Grisham and Cano. If I'm eyeballing that correctly, so that could explain going, you know, with the with the pitch mix that he did or sorry, the Cardinals. I was looking at the wrong team there. That makes sense. Uh Cardinals do they have any left-handed batters in their lineup? Maybe one. Um, so that that's the kind of thing where, like, I don't know if Blake Snell was making a conscious decision to go away from his slider or if it's just that's the way the matchups worked out. Um, but he's I, – I feel like he's been better than his results. He was really good on his rehab assignment. I'm, I'm feeling somewhat optimistic about Snell with the way he closed last season, with the way he's pitched so far this year. I, I think there's – there's a decent amount to like about him right now. This game was definitely not a pitcher's duel, but it was interesting nonetheless. Kevin Gosman and Lucas Gilito combined for 22 hard hit balls against <laughs> and also 32 swinging strikes. So lots of whiffs, but also lots of hard contact in this one. Gilito gives up six runs over four and two thirds. He had eight strikeouts. Kevin Gosman gave up three runs over five innings with five strikeouts. Scott, you see anything here that stands out or just kind of a night where they both gave up a lot of loud contact. Yeah, I don't I don't see uh, I don't really have any strong takes about this performance for either one of them. Yeah. And Giolito, we've seen this before. I mean, he is prone to these kind of you know, big blow-up starts. Uh but so far this season swinging strike rate is very good. He's got a career high CSW percentage and um I, I overall I've been pretty encouraged by uh Giolito myself and Kevin Gosman. If you listen to our redraft of the first two rounds, you know I have him as my third-ranked starting pitcher. Some other leftovers from uh, Tuesday's action. George Kirby back on track with the best start of his young career. Six shutout innings with eight strikeouts in this one. Jordan Montgomery, his first seven-inning outing this season. And then Eric Lauer, I guess, I don't know, another mixed bag. Three runs over four innings, six strikeouts, three walks. Uh, Scott, what do you think there? Eric Lauer, uh, Jordan Montgomery, George Kirby. The overall result wasn't great for Lauer, but the fastball played better than it's played in recent starts. There wasn't a continued decline in velocity, at least not a notable one, and uh, I believe it got the majority of his whiffs. Yeah, seven of his 12 swinging strikes came on the fastball, so I, I don't know. I mean, obviously the result wasn't good, so what does that really matter? I th- I think overall, though, we could we should continue to think of Eric Lauer's Pretty high-end, pretty high-end, close to must-start. And uh, and then for Kirby, so he has now had, he, he, in his last two starts, he has 17 strikeouts compared to just one walk in, I believe it's 11 innings. So you got to love that ratio. The slider has been pretty bad as a bat missing pitch, which is supposed to be his best secondary pitch. So that's not what we want to see. He got four of his 11 whiffs on it and it had a 29% whiff rate. So about triple what it's been. It's still not great for a slider, but it was a step in the right direction. Granted, he was facing the Orioles this time. And in that previous start where he got a lot of strikeouts, he's facing the A's. So I, I'm not, I'm still not to the point where I'm, Super confident in Kirby, but he's only 80% rostered, which means in like Yahoo, he's probably 40% rostered or something. 
And uh, that needs to change. He deserves to be more rostered than that. I think he will be after this start. Close, Scotty. 46% rostered for George Kirby over on Yahoo. So he's available. far off. <laughs> no, you were not. It's half it. Um, and also, Scott, awesome tweet about George Kirby. You <laughs> responding to me on uh, on Tuesday. Remind the uh, the listeners if they didn't get to see uh, that. Ah, yes, you tweeted a, a a gif of a another famous Kirby doing what that famous Kirby does, consuming everything in sight. Throwing said, throwing cutters. No. <laughs> hmm. I said you might even say Baltimore is Kirby's dreamland. But I'm love it. Absolutely great. Great stuff there from Scotty. Uh, Chris, are you looking to drop either of these pitchers? Noah Syndergaard failed to escape the third inning in two of his last three starts now. The ERA climbs to 4.01. And Ranger Suarez, another just subpar outing, uh, does not escape the fifth inning. He's failed to go five innings in three straight. The ERA is up to 4.69. You're looking to drop either of these, Syndergaard or Ranger Suarez. First, I'd like to apologize for the fake news. Kirby Yates' pitch was a splitter, not a cutter. Uh, that's my bad. Ah, I was wondering uh, where you were going with that. I think Noah Syndergaard is very droppable. I'm not saying he's a must-drop, but there's very little about what we've seen from Noah Syndergaard this season outside of the ERA through like seven starts that really suggests that he's a particularly good pitcher at this point. He... His fastball was always weirdly less effective than you would think, given the velocity he threw it with, and now he's throwing at 94 miles an hour instead of 97, 98. So, yeah, I, I think Syndergaard is just a guy at this point. I think he's a name and and luxurious hair, but if we're just judging him on his merits as a pitcher, there's not very much to like about Noah Syndergaard right now. Scott, would you drop Ranger Suarez? I I think he is droppable if there's something more interesting out there. I haven't totally lost hope for him, but it's my my confidence is diminishing for sure. Would you drop him for any of Ashby, Jeffrey Springs, Spencer Strider, Ruanzi Contreras? Uh, not I, I I think I'd hold on to him over Ruanzi Contreras, but the other three I'd be fine with dropping. Oh. All right, some hitting leftovers. Uh, mentioned what Gary Sanchez has been up to. Joey Votto hit two doubles. On Tuesday, and both were dangerously close to being home runs. One was 398 feet, the other was 385. And since returning from the COVID IL, his average exit velocity is over 92 miles per hour. So I think we're kind of close with Joey Vada. We're close to a breakthrough. I feel it. Something good is coming. A good sign for Teoscar Hernandez, who went two for four with two doubles, had three batted balls over 100 miles per hour, uh, and has a modest five-game hitting streak himself. And then a pair of Cubs had some nice games here. Wilson Contreras, two for four with his eighth homer. Patrick Wisdom, two for four with a sock and a shoe. His 11th home run, his second stolen base, and he is up to 79% rostered. And rightfully so. almost how many strikeouts he has. <laughs> How many strikeouts does he actually have, Chris? You have that up. Uh, sixty-seven entering today. I don't know if he had one today or not. Uh, I don't know offhand, but <laughs> leads right. the majors in strikeouts still. Yeah, that is um, not surprising given that strikeout rate. The call to the bullpen for Toronto. I wrote Kevin Gosman, but that's not true. Jordan Romano gave up two hits, but converted his 16th save for the Reds. Tony Santian gave up three hits and a run in a two-run game, but picked up his fourth save of the season. Santian has the last two saves for the Reds, but 
It's hard to trust anyone in that bullpen for obvious reasons. He's 4% rostered. He's got a 4.67 ERA. I don't know. The deepest of leagues, you'd have to be really, really desperate for saves. But even then, I probably don't want Tony Santian on my team. For the Rangers, Joe Barlow got his ninth save, eight of those coming in the month of May. For the Giants, Camilo Duvall entered in the 10th inning of a one-run game, gave up an unearned run, and took the blown save himself. For the Cardinals, Giovanni Gallegos entered in the eighth inning with a two-run lead, facing the bottom of the lineup, and he gave up a game-tying home run. Ryan Helsley pitched the ninth, a scoreless. He walked one. Uh, Scott, I'm getting questions about dropping Giovanni Gallegos. He's 87% rostered. What do you think? I would be hesitant in a league where saves are scarce, but I am thinking the Cardinals are, are leaning more toward making Helsley the ninth inning guy. So it, it's not a sure thing, but... And for what it's worth, Helsley does not have much of a track record. And the results lately have been slightly less incredible than they were early on. Uh, he didn't have a strikeout today. He has multiple strikeouts in only one of his last eight appearances now. So something keep in, keep in mind that as good as Ryan Helsley was for a month, he did have a 456 ERA last season. So, you know, I'm not a hundred percent certain that he's as good as he looked. That's fair. Um, but I guess something similar. Yeah. Look, the, the usage patterns there. are what they are. Like if they're using him in the ninth, then he's going to be more valuable than Gallegos for as long as that remains the case for the Cubs. David Robertson picked up his seventh save for the Astros. Ryan Presley picked up his eighth for the Braves. Kenley Jansen gave up a run in the ninth, takes his third blown save. And you know, we've had some hiccups here for Kenley Jansen. So He's on watch. Let's see where he goes. Uh, for the Pirates, Will Crow picked up his second save. David Bednar pitched two innings on Monday, so my guess is he was unavailable. To stream or not to stream, we'll start with Wednesday. Jose Quintana at the Dodgers. Mitch White versus the Pirates. Jeffrey Springs at the Rangers. Bailey Ober at the Tigers. And Brad Keller at the Guardians. Springs and Ober are the two most interesting here, and I think... Um I think Springs is the most interesting. He should just be added, I think, in most leagues. All right. Let's take a look at Thursday. We've got Chris Archer at the Tigers. Alex Fajardo versus the Twins. Johnny Cueto at the Blue Jays. That would be Graham Ashcraft of the Reds. He's going up against the Nationals. And then we have Chris Flexen at the Orioles. Yeah, we talked about Ashcraft a little bit uh, yesterday in the podcast. There's there's some interesting things about him, but I want to, you know, give him another start before I trust it, but he would be the closest to being someone I'm interested in. All right. Uh, anyone else? Mm. Fido versus the twins is okay. Especially Correa's on the COVID IL now too. So lineup takes yeah, it I just, there. I don't trust them. Yeah, I get it. Especially the slider didn't look good. The last start. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I know Scott likes him, but I, I I'm unconvinced about Fido. All right, we will wrap there. Uh, didn't get the team name Wednesday pretty late here in the pod, uh, but we have some good ones. I'll save those for next week. We'll do you know an extended team name Tuesday next week. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back, back again tomorrow. Bye-bye.
If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework.